Alva, thank you for reminding us what we spoke about last time I was here. And uh, I loved the theme that God put in my heart last time I was here. Because actually, when we consider what God is saying to us, and uh, when we begin to uh, uh, look at the challenge of our world, there is no question in my mind that we are having to take a... Um, a message of hope to a dying world in a way that is not just innovative but effective. Um, at our devotions at our team on Friday, I did devotions to the team on Friday, and uh, it's, uh, I've been talking to the team, and I'm not going to get into that. That's a message for another time. But we, we, we live in a world that's time conscious. Speak of which my watch died. So, the, so I'm the happiest preacher on earth this morning because I'm going to long. Somebody's going to need to tell me what's the time now. By the way, twenty-five past. Okay, because genuinely it's died. Okay, so it's you know the Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to preach and after that the judgment. So yeah, it doesn't say that, but. Uh, <laughs> My watch has died, so I'll, I will try to be aware of it. My wife's going to wave at me. When my wife does this, it's not because she disagrees with me. It's because it's breakfast time. Okay. Um, but the last time we were here, we talked about the church. And, uh, and, you know, it's very easy to start to think in terms of the time frame that we live in. Let me tell you, there's a huge difference between time and eternity. Jesus is eternal and he stepped into time, and he is again eternal. He was never non-eternal, but he came as a revelation, or if you like, if you like a uh, incarnation of the Father through his personhood as the Son of God into the world. And Jesus stepped out of eternal being into time, and actually in time, he rescued those who are locked in time that we might live eternally now get your head around that then that's fine but we, we could we could talk about that but it's an amazing thing and whenever we talk to people they're always thinking time 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 but God thinks eternal 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 Jesus is the same yesterday that was eternal today that's time and forever that's eternal it's an interesting thing to me. I've never recognized the fact that we often talk and use that scripture thinking it's just, oh yes, Jesus was the same in the Bible days, is the same today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. But we're still thinking time. No, 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 no. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was sacrificed before the foundation of this. He is the before the world Christ. He is the in-world Christ. He will be the forever eternal Christ he is eternal anyway not going to get into that this morning but I just think I'd throw that in just to get your minds going but we live in time and in living in time we need to prepare people in time for eternity because what happens in the short time of life actually is not forever but it matters forever now, if you've never given your life to Jesus, let me tell you something very simple. You only have time to prepare for eternity. It's all you got it for. Eternity will not prepare you for eternity. It happens in time. Now, 
Now, I'm going to read you a scripture, which I'm not going to refer to till we get to the end of what I'm going to say, but it's from the Old, book, Old Testament, the second book of Kings, chapter 4. And it's a story I love well. I've preached it many, many times, and yet I'm not going to preach anything like I normally would actually unpack it because I've got something else on my heart today. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, Elisha came after Elijah. And if you don't know who comes first, get confused between Elijah and Elisha. Easy thing for you to remember is Elisha comes second. Okay. Oh, you're so serious, some of you. Anyway. Your servant, my husband, is dead, she said to Elisha. You know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. Your, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Remember, that's a key verse we're going to come back to. Elisha said, go around and ask your, your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, okay, full, not half full, full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Not live for another day, week, month, but actually for time. It's not going to run out. I want to talk to you today about the DNA of the miraculous. How's that sound? Anybody up for that? Talk to you about the DNA of the miraculous. What makes the church miraculous? Now, the first time I spoke at the Rock Church, which was still online in those days, we talked about faith. Do you remember anyone online? And I talked about the faith that we are not just people of faith. I actually have an aversion to the phrase saying, oh, we are people of faith. No, we're not. We are people of faith in Jesus. Amen. Faith is the rope that connects us to the anchor. Okay? I want to say that again because we say it and people forget that. But actually, we're not just people of faith. We don't just have kind of a faith system or we don't just kind of, well, we believe, you know, and we believe and find people who also believe something. And our unity is having people who believe something. No, my unity with believers is they are believers in the personhood of Jesus. That's crucial. Because if it's not in that personhood, we are like people who have a rope without an anchor and we hope we don't drift. I used to have a boat in South Africa. I had an anchor at the end of the rope. If I threw the rope into the water without an anchor, guess what? Every current wind would push me towards the rocks. But the, the, the anchor at the end of the rope meant that the rope could do its work. And the, the work of the rope was to connect the anchor so that the anchor could hold me by the rope safely. There are a lot of people say, oh, I've got faith. Faith in what? Oh, i just got faith. No, that's not faith. That's blind, stupid hope. And every wind, every change, everything, oh, now I feel hopeless. When your hope 
is connected to the rock, that is Christ, the storms will not push you. Okay. Second time we spoke together, I talked to you about Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus was speaking to the disciples, and he said, upon this rock, okay, I will build my church. And I said this, and I want to say it again, that the church of Jesus needs to be the body that's connected to the head. And if we connect it to the head, the face of the church is Jesus. It's not some kind of fashion fad. You can't wear the face of Jesus on a t-shirt and not be on the face itself. Okay? Brand Christianity will not save anybody. Because they will change. But the church that carries the face of Jesus, because it's connected to the head, which is the head of the church, will also be under the instruction of the head and thereby have the authority of the head. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because of the following. If we build on that, then today I want to speak to you about the source of our power and the result of the message that we speak. Got your Bibles with you. Turn with me to Psalm 133, and we'll read together a very lovely few verses, okay? And I want to point out something to you this morning that I think may bless you, may encourage you, may begin to make you want to walk out of this place and say, Show me the world. I'm ready for it. Okay. Put, better put my glasses on, otherwise I can't see in this light. <laughs> psalm 133. If you've never heard this psalm together, you've not been to church often. Because this is a psalm we love to quote. It's very short, but it says, How good and how pleasant it is where brothers live together in? Okay. Now remember this. I'm going to come back to that word in a second. Because we talk about unity between ourselves. But there's a unity that goes beyond unity between ourselves. We'll get to that in a moment. It's like precious oil poured over the head or on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes, as if it is the dew of Hermon. As it as, sorry, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore how good and how pleasant it is where brothers live together in unity let me say to you i want to challenge you and say to myself again we talk about the headship of christ and the headship of christ is not just a nominal thing that we uh, kind of give assent to us so, well you know jesus is the head of his church okay because he's the church is in his name so it's his church not at all the headship of christ means that we are in unity with him now, I want you to understand that because this is crucial to us understanding where our authority and our power and also that which we talk in terms, in terms of our being miraculous comes from. The headship of Christ is fundamental to our miraculous existence. A body without a head is a gruesome sight. Now, I'm going to shock you, but I'm going to say to you what I really believe. When the church of Jesus Christ is headless, it's a gruesome sight. I'm sick and tired, I'm sure you are too, of hearing the news of things done in the name of the church that has lost touch with the head. Whether it be abuse, 
whether it be people being mistreated, abused in terms of their finance, in terms of their sexuality, in terms of every way. But when the church is united to its head, God commands a blessing. Now, as Ryland used to say when he preached, Ryland Bonka, if you don't enjoy my preaching there, I'm going to enjoy it myself because that, that kind of kicks me into gear. <laughs> when the church is connected to Christ as the head of the church, showing his face to the world, the blessing of God is not optional, it's inevitable. Because when the, the, the world sees the face of Jesus demonstrated through the body of Christ moving in society, let me tell you something. The face of Jesus is the face that the gates of hell will not prevail against. They see the resurrected Christ walking towards them and say, whoa, he's here. Open up your gates. Now, when we connect to the head, now understand what I'm saying and say now. How good and how pleasant it is where brethren dwell together in unity. So the body needs to be united. Of course it does. You don't chop off an arm and a leg and say, well, we're united. The body needs to come together, fit together. Paul writes about that. But united to its head. And when the body comes together, it is like the anointing, come on, that flows over the head. Come on. And actually, as it flows over the head, it flows over Oliver, who is in the body. It flows over Arvel, who is in the body. It flows over Mavis, who is in the body. It flows over everybody. And when the anointing from the head flows over the body, guess what? We are like him. We are transformed into his image. Why? Because the same anointing that flows over the head is flowing over the body. Anybody getting this? That makes us miraculous. And then Jesus says, and the things I do... You're going to do them too. Why? Because it's the anointing flowing over the head. It's not imitation. It's the revelation of God through the body. Didn't Jesus say in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and with me you can do zip zero, nothing? So where brethren dwell together in unity, there God commands a blessing because the anointing that flows over the head Begins to flow down the beard, begins to flow down the collar, down the robes. Now get this, and I love this. And as Aaron, who is the picture he's using as the priest, begins to walk in Stratford as the anointed body with the headship of Christ over him, as he walks with the anointing saturating every part of his being, the drips of oil begin to walk down the streets of Stratford, and suddenly Stratford says, Jesus was here, Jesus was here, Jesus was here. But actually, Jesus was here, and so was his body. Oh, I will. How good it is. How good it is where brethren live together in, in unity that God can command the blessing that flows over the head to flow over the body. I think it was Hansel and Gretel. I'm not very good on children's fairy stories, but they followed a trail of breadcrumbs, if I remember correctly. I suspect that the world want to follow, wants to follow a trail of oil. Come on. Who walked here recently because there's oil in the footprints where they walk? 
Let me ask you the question that I ask myself too often to be comfortable with it. At the end of the day, how many droplets of oil have marked the tread of my step in that day? Not to condemn myself, but to ensure that I'm connected to the head. And I say that because actually when we discover who Jesus is and when we start looking at why I say this, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, Peter, that we spoke about last time, actually is in response to Jesus says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And before he actually began to talk about who Jesus is in the, 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 the Trinity, he says, you're the Christ. You're the one who carries the anointing. That's what anointed means, Christos. You're the anointed one. You're the anointed one. We've never known anybody quite like you. Something is flowing over you that is so, so, so different. Son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, you're so blessed. God commands a blessing over those. Because this hasn't been revealed to you by man, but by my Father. And I tell you, Peter, get this, church. The anointed head on a connected body, walking towards the gates of hell, is unstoppable. Come on. Let me tell you something, if you connect to the head, your hands won't be in some of the stuff that they get connect, that they get involved with when actually you disconnect yourself to the head. You won't be twitching around like a disembodied body or just dismembered body touching the stuff of the world because actually the life of the head, the mind of Christ, the things of God matter. You won't be walking to places that Jesus would never walk towards because actually I only do the things of the one who sent me and I finish the work. You walk where he walks. I love this, not because it just touches me when I preach, but I understand why then Jesus in Luke chapter 4 stands up and begins to quote from Isaiah chapter 61. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus wasn't saying that for us to look at him and say, wow, wasn't that amazing? Isn't that sad? It's over. But you're saying, wow, isn't it amazing? That as the Father has sent me, I can send you. How good and how pleasant it is where brethren are united and united to the head. And the oil from the head flows over the body. And the body says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. 
Come on, church. If nothing else makes me feel purpose-driven, that makes me think, God, there's intent in what I believe. And this is what Jesus said. He said, actually, this is who I am. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because I am building a church that will be miraculous, that will carry the miraculous DNA that is actually my DNA, that will look like me because it's my face, that will walk like me because it's my body, but I am the head directing its movement. So we come to 2 Kings chapter 4. You think, now why in the world did you read such a scripture and actually preach this message? And I'm going to tell you why. A woman who was married to one of the prophets or the sons of the prophets comes to Elisha and says, big problem. Husband is dead. Debt is big. Children to become slaves. Hope is lost. What is God going to do next? And the interesting question that Elisha comes and asks, he says to the woman, he says, okay, get the problem. Now let me get to the answer. What do you have available to you? Our country rocked this last week by an MP being murdered in a surgery. Who would ever have thought? But it happened. Watch the news and people talk in terms of strike action and activity that's actually still just affecting our world in ways that we don't want to begin to even think about. Every three days they tell me some precious woman, lady in our country is murdered. Who would have thought? I'm a father of three daughters. I think, God, that's not what we rejoiced in when our baby girl was born. Yeah, it's, we're not the, the, the wife or a, a, a member of the household of one of the, the school of the prophets, but my goodness me, do we live in a society where hope is lost? Do we live in a society where actually debt and indebtedness through greed, through anger, through racism, through people actually having agendas that are so godless that they actually only seek to promote their own will at the expense of others? predominates and I want to say to you I believe God would say to us what he said to that widow, that widow through Elisha he said so what do you have left now whenever you come across two things in the Bible that are spoken about whether it be fire or oil they speak of something that is miraculous the fire of God even in judgment is miraculous but the oil of God is always speaking of something that is anointing, miraculous. When God was going to present Israel with a king, it was through anointing. When God was going to call and separate people, it was through anointing. When God wants to heal the sick, It's not a church tradition, folks. It speaks of something that is miraculous. And don't you ever anoint somebody with oil just because it's the convention. 
and keep your hand out of the oil because actually you're defiling something which is holy. Speaks of the miraculous. What do you have left? She said, I've got nothing left except a little bit of oil. Now, I don't know how much a little bit meant, whether it was a jar, half a jar, a little jar, or actually, I don't know about you, but every now and then when we do something like a barbecue or something and I drop a bit of oil on my paving, oh, man, how do I get rid of oil? You know why? Because oil sticks around. Man, does it ever stick. How do you get rid of it? Because it seeps in. I don't know how much she had left. In my preacher's mind, I'd like to think she had very little left because it makes my preaching sound even better, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what I do know is she didn't have very much to do very much with because actually she couldn't even fill the jar she had. And actually every jar she brought, and by the way, the anointing is always capacity measured. <clears throat> you run out of capacity, something stops. Only got a bit of oil left. Okay. The miracle is in the oil. The anointing is miraculous because it breaks every yoke. Now, I'm going to, again, risk offending people by saying something that some people do very flippantly and say, oh, he was so anointed this morning. Let me tell you something. The anointing never happens to make us feel good. The anointing happens to reveal the miraculous. Yeah, I listened to Barbara Streisand. Anybody, Barbara Streisand, an amazing voice, isn't she? <laughs> she was singing Holy Ground. Man, I tell you, I had goosebumps running up and down my spine. I, I was saying hallelujah to myself like crazy. But let me tell you something. I'm going to offend some of you. She was not anointed. She's just a beautiful singer because actually I could listen to it till Jesus comes. But actually she was not singing under the authority of God for me to experience the power of God. Now I may experience the power of God because I connect with something different that she's speaking about. That's different. But we say, oh, somebody oh, he spoke so beautifully. I think he must be anointed. No. Check out what happens if the anointing is present. If the anointing is present, blind eyes are opened, yeah. captives are set free, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And if nothing happens, he wasn't present. Because the anointing is purpose given. It's intentional. What do you have left? A little bit of oil. Start to pour it. But good news for you. God doesn't need you to have an oil well to meet your need. He needs your obedience yeah. to his word to act. I'm going to finish with one final thought because actually talking about oil, and maybe this is going to put this into context with you because again, in Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read it to you. We need, a, we need an angle poise light over here oh, well, just so we can see you. Either that or I need to get healed one way or the other. Matthew chapter 25, it's the parable of the ten virgins. Okay. They didn't own an airline, by the way. They just, uh, just uh, 
or a telephone company. Although they used to say, how do you get a message around the world? You buy a telephone or you tell a woman? Is it a <laughs> ooh, ooh, um, happy wife, happy life. Okay, okay, never mind, just, just saying. <laughs> yeah, I know, my time is up, I'm almost finished. We're not in eternity yet. Matthew 25, it says, at that time, Jesus is speaking, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay, now, if you stop right there, you'd think, well, actually, the bridegroom was arriving, and so they were actually rushing out. That's not the way the story goes, by the way. Something actually was going to happen that they didn't expect, and that is that the bridegroom would actually be a long time in coming. Anyway, another story. Goes on, he says, and uh, five of them were foolish and five were wise. Well, we know we only have wise ones here this morning, so we are okay. <laughs> the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take oil, any oil with them. Now, I, I, listen, I don't know what B&Q was like in those days. I mean, you know, there must have been a B&Q those days because they've been around forever making money, I think, anyway. But that... I don't know whether they sold oil with lamps, oil without lamps, or you bought oil and then you bought, I don't know. But it sounds to me like they had oil that were lamped. Uh, lamps that were oiled, so put that way around. Well, other way around as well, I suppose, you know. They, they, they certainly didn't buy defunct or def defective things, but I don't know. And the reason I say that is because I think for many of us, and I, I look at my own life with this, uh, there's nothing wrong with where we started. Nothing. Now we started good. Billy Graham used to talk about the afterglow, you know. We all start great. <clears throat> By the way, they say that if you don't lead somebody to Jesus within the first 12 months of your Christian walk, you probably never will. So some of us got some catching up to do. Just saying, you know, great commission stuff. Anyway. But five wise virgins explicitly took their lamps and with them they took oil whether the oil was separate to what they had in lamps i don't know like i said i'm not going to conjecture on that but it, they took oil with them they took a canister of oil five foolish virgins made no provision they didn't take the oil now why is that important in this context well for me it's important for one simple reason what we give our attention to and what we give primacy of importance to means whether we, we, we will be miraculous or mundane. Psalm 133, as we read about, talks about the oil that flows, but this image talks about the oil as being that which not only sustains, but prepares us for the purpose of God to be fulfilled with us. Like I said before, in the scriptures, if you find oil, it speaks of the Holy Spirit. If you find fire, it speaks about the presence of God. I want to say to you, no oil, no fire. And no fire, no power. 
Now, I find it very interesting that in Acts chapter 2, the story goes and it says, and the day of Pentecost, they waited for something which Jesus said had to come. The anointing that he had, he said, I'm going to pray the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, I know who the anointing is. It's not a feeling. He's a person. He's the Holy Spirit himself. And I'm going to pray the Father is going to send the Spirit and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And isn't it interesting that on that day when the Holy Spirit came, oil and fire arrives together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that makes us miraculous. But the foolish virgins didn't bother taking anything. They had a lamp but no oil. Rock Church, I am not in leadership. I'm not trying to tell you how God's going to direct you, but I'm going to say this to you with the great love in my heart that I have for your pastoral team and for yourselves. You can have the best lamp in the world. You can have the most beautifully cut glass shade. You can actually have a wick that's so nicely trimmed, it actually would look like you've done it with a nail clipper. But if you don't have oil, you have no power. When I was a child growing up, some of you would know what I'm talking about. We used to actually once a year dedicate literally a week of our year to saying, God, we just need to encounter the Holy Spirit in a way that is fresh. We used to call them tarrying meetings. Anybody ever, way back, anybody even know what those were? We used to have prayer meetings for a week saying, God, we need the, we need the fire. And we used to spend literally, I used to, man, I fell asleep more often on my knees in those days than I, you know, because I had to go whether I wanted to or not. I didn't want to go. My mom and dad said, you're going to come till God meets with you. And actually, one day God met me, and i tell you something. The oil I received that day lasts for a lifetime. You see, when the widow with a cruise of oil came and began to pour, at the end of the exercise of obedience, she said, now go and sell the oil and you and your sons can live on what is less. I don't know what her debt was. She didn't just pay her debt. She paid her debt and she had surplus to her debt to live for a lifetime. You see, the oil doesn't just meet the moment, oh, I need to feel good. Would you pray for me? I need to feel something. May God give us all a good feeling, absolutely. But I tell you what, if all you do is get a good feeling and no change, you'll feel bad again tomorrow. But the anointing that you've received lasts, abides, because it comes from the Holy One. The Holy One. Amen. Good, I'm glad you approved God. God got the first idea, by the way, just saying. We're not just people who believe things. We're connected to the anchor. We're not just people who actually say, oh, we're part of the church. We're part of his church. It's his face. But actually, we're not just going to have his face. We have the anointing that flows and the body saturated. Now, my question is this. And we're going to come around the table of the Lord and we're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. And I do apologize. Like I said, what, what's, what's, it, what's it say? See, see, my watch is. I, I know it's quarter past eleven because I wrote that, put that on there when I came up. Said, you know, I know. I'm got a clue what it is now, but I tell you, I know it's time for the oil. Amen. I want to ask you something, and I mean this. Please forgive me. 
I'm not trying to be clever and I'm not trying to be judgmental or sound that way. But how long has it been since you've checked your oil supply? How long has it been since you said, God, it's dripping off me because the oil of the anointing of the Holy One is flowing over the body to such a degree that actually I can't help but walk. I, I love my wife to bits. I really do. I mean that genuinely. That's not just me being a soppy husband. But I love what I love most about her is every single day I can follow the trail of oil where she's walked. And I mean that because actually I see people who months after she starts speaking to them says, I followed the trail of oil and it's led me to Jesus. How long has it been since you checked that that which you started with is not just an empty lamp, but is oil filled? See, I know that there may be one or two in this place who say, well, I don't know Jesus yet. And if you don't, I want to say to you, become part of his body, be part of his church, because that's miraculous and you're welcome. Jesus died to make you welcome. But I know that majority of us, probably by the high 90%, would say, yeah, I love it. I love the Lord. I come to church because I'm, I'm part of the body. So I'm talking to the body now. Understand me. And I'm talking to a body that needs to be miraculous. Understand me. much oil is dripping off us or is it perhaps that we have become so body conscious that we've lost connect connectivity to the head come on talk to me I'm saying oh God draw us back into that place where actually it's good and it's pleasant where brethren dwell together in unity with the head and the body is in connected with each other and the oil flows over us and actually where we move and so on you know something it's been a long time, and I mean this genuinely, since I've been into church saying, God, I saw oil today. And I'm not talking about some kind of weird thing. I'm talking about the sense of his presence being so pervasive that actually we said, God, I was touched. God, I was changed. God, I can't be the same anymore. Amen. Don't know about you, but man, I'm so hungry for that I could eat a brick. Because I'm tired of churches being lamps without oil. I'm tired of the body being headless. I'm tired of the crews of oil standing discarded when God says, The DNA is in the oil. Pour it. And I'm saying, God, if you're going to fill Stratford with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Holy Spirit, come upon me in a fresh way today. Holy Spirit, let the anointing flow. Let the anointing flow over the head, flow it over my body. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, I why don't you just do that right now where you are? Just begin to invite him to begin to minister to you. You don't need to lay hands upon you. You need the anointing from the head to flow upon you, just to flow over you. Holy Spirit, would you come afresh upon us today? Would you fill us afresh today? Holy Spirit, we long for your presence. Forgive us. Lord forgive us at times for thinking that we could so organize our affairs that we could organize you out of existence come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit Lord we look across Stratford upon Avon 
as if it were a valley of dry bones. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, and breathe upon this valley. But Lord, before you breathe upon them, make the body of Christ arise again, covered with anointing. In the name of Jesus. God draws you to not calls you not to draw you away from him. He calls you to draw you to him. He doesn't point out our need for us to feel judged. He points out our need that we might feel engaged to come and say, "Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Come, Holy Spirit." Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, feed into my life the things that are necessary. And I want to tell you something, He's here not because I say so, He's here not because you feel something, He's here because He says, I am near to those who seek me, I am there to those who cry out to me, and He is here to touch you. Come Holy Spirit. And I want you to come and pray for this church. Would you do that? Could you come and pray? I'm changing convention a little bit, but that's okay. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God turns us into a body that is saturated. Okay, now let me tell you something. If the person that you, if there's somebody in this church that you think, oh, I don't even like them, get over yourself because actually you ain't going to have any unity. And where there's no unity, there's no anointing. And by the way, if you cut an arm off and let it lie somewhere because you actually don't want to talk to it, it's just going to rot and stink. So get connected with each other. Come on, listen to me. And say, God, I want you to help me to sort out that thing that's caused me. If you've left another church, if you left the old renewal, I'm just going to call it the way it is, and you come here with hurts, get over it. Okay? You can call me a dad, you can call me a pastor, you can call me whatever you want to. But right now I'm talking to you in the office of an apostle. Get over it. Because God can't bless what we're hanging on to in hurts. No, I'm not angry with anybody. I love you too much. But God wants to cause the anointing to flow. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. How long has it been since you've said that to him? Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Right now, just invite him back. Lord, I just, I just, all that I've got left is a bit of oil. All I have is a memory of when the oil flowed. All I have is DNA that actually hasn't flowed for a while. But right now, I'm just going to begin to pour it in obedience. Come on, church. And...